Hello, fortune seekers. The older you get, the more likely you are to divide your one lifetime into many discrete lives you have lived. For Danny and I, one of those lives was as aspiring filmmakers of the indie variety. We had many projects started and a couple finished. Mistakes were consumed, lessons were digested, and now we wish to pass what we would like to market as wisdom onto you in the first installment of an ongoing series titled Filmmaker Foibles on today's episode of the Mega Moth Studios Super Secret Podcast. Welcome back to the show. As always, I'm your host, crisis planner who minds his manners, Joel Watts. As always, joined by... Uh, Yeah, Danny, confused as usual. So this is a very special episode coming to you out of chronological order of our normal feed. So if you would like to learn more about that normal feed, please look in your podcatcher app or the YouTube playlist that you are on. Take a step back a week, two weeks, however long, far back. We have plenty of topics for you to discover there. Three weeks? Why not four? I don't know if we've been doing the podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure we have, actually. I think you could. Who knows? Eat. We don't even know when this episode. That's true. Air. What? Hey, audience, why don't you tell us in the comments, how many episodes can you go back at this point? Scroll all the way down, count them up and tell us. We know you're watching. Yeah. Anyways. I'm sure that will be uh, an interesting comment <laughs> section <laughs> with lots of numbers. <laughs> Lots of numbers okay, that we could we idea. could do ourselves. Yeah. What, what's your idea, Danny? Do you have a game? We're going to put a picture. We'll, we'll find a p- picture with a jar of M&Ms on it. Tell us how many M&Ms are in this jar. Put the number in the comments. Really, there's no way of knowing because it's a picture. We can't count them, but it will be fun to put a random number in the comment that corresponds to what you think mm-hmm. is in that jar of M&Ms. And whatever we feel is the correct answer, we might give you... A like, if we feel like you got something like the correct answer, if it feels right. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And if it feels wrong, we'll delete your comment because <laughs> yeah. we're vindictive like mm-hmm. that. Not really. I mean, we, we, we really want all the comments there that we can get. So please comment how many you, M&Ms you think. Are yeah. You, your comments can hurt us and we'll still, we'll take it. We're punished. Absolutely. We're all for the punishment just for the attention. We're gluttons for punishment. <laughs> anyway, so... Uh, d- punish me, Joel. Well, I'm going to punish you with this one, Danny. Uh, I usually do a question of the week to get the show started, get the audience to know us better. Now, this is an odd week because we're recording this episode just in case something bad enough happens that we can't record the podcast. So I have a question that's kind of like our game of the week. And uh, possibly we might you might be able to check our social media feeds for the answer. So the question is... What do you predict happened that made us have to pull this episode out of the vault? And $100 to the host who gets closest without going over. I don't know where that $100 is coming from, but one of us gets it. Ooh, $100. $100 on the line, if I can guess accurately. What was the reason why we could not post this podcast? Okay, here's what I've got. I'm imagining some sort of audio issue. I would imagine that maybe we had a guest on, maybe we didn't quite get the technical check correct. Maybe they accidentally recorded the discord call 
over their own audio recording, creating some sort of echo situation that we just couldn't untangle. Um, in this, in this, in this, in this future, I'm imagining that we we record a lot of our podcasts on Discord, which we don't do today. But I would imagine, I would imagine the future, we probably would. I'm guessing this this guest would probably be like some sort of uh, really charismatic TikToker. Um, maybe um, they would have some sort of um, some sort of association with Disney. Uh, but I would say that that's you know that's that's probably maybe a little too specific. But um, yeah, that, that would be my guess. I, I would imagine it would be a good episode um, with probably one of the, the best um, something randoms of all time. And, um, and I also guess that like by that time, we probably are really, really leaning into you being an edgelord. So that's my guess. Um, but yeah, uh, you can bet me $100 whenever you're ready. That's all. <laughs> all right, guests. Well, fortunately, by the time you hear that offer, the the reason will have already happened. By the time you hear this recording, it'll already be too late. Um, my answer, after listening to my mother and her sister speak on family health over unlimited soup, salad, and breadsticks at the one establishment brave enough to reassure us that we are in fact family, I now am keenly aware of the fragility of all those around me. So I would say a funeral, not mine, but one that I'm intending. Just like someone died because they ate at Olive Garden? <laughs> they, we all eat at Olive Garden and we eventually die. I do not eat at Olive Garden. <laughs> we ain't family. Darden is a, no, no, for me. Is, is Olive Garden owned by Darden? I don't know anything about uh, the ownership of Olive Garden. If you want to look into it, are we going to, are we going to just start racking up, up uh, restaurants that we are uh, at war with? We have to be. We have to be mm. nice to so many people. I, I would not mind being uh, a restaurant hater. Darden is not. Uh, sorry, Darden does own Olive Garden, um, and yeah, I'm not a fan of Olive Garden. I don't. So I'll say this. I don't blame you. It was our second choice after our local Italian spot, Julian's. It turns out they do that. What I would do if I owned a restaurant, which is closed from the hours of like three until like four thirty. You know, they close their doors to customers so that they can reset. For a siesta. For a siesta. Oh, for a reset. Something okay. like that. that yeah, shift sense. change slash reset. And I'm like, that's a sign of a well-run establishment to me. If they're not trying to, you know, take customers all hours of the day, if they know that they have that slow spot, so might as well utilize it. But, you know, I'm a late luncher. So I got into town and we realized that if we had pulled up to Julian's, a local San Antonio place, we would not be able to take get a seat and we would be those rude people. So we decided to emergency press the Olive Garden button because my mom is a fan of Olive Garden. And but it was an emergency, to be clear. It was an emergency Olive Garden yeah. situation. It wasn't a like consensual, normal Olive Garden situation. Yeah, it was it wasn't Maybe like it was I, consensual, but just not I didn't go premeditated. Yeah, it wasn't premeditated. I'll say that. It was okay. it was okay. it was like we all, all have to like I have a time limit. My brother has a time limit. He was going to join us. We all have to press the button of we got to go to a place now you start thinking about those places you can just guarantee it are open and even if they're not delivering qu the quality that you you know like you know that they're at least going to deliver you warm food you hope that's yeah that's a hope it's not necessarily a, a given i've had many a cold meal at a chain restaurant <laughs> and i assume olive garden does the same i wouldn't know i don't yeah. either 
Well, now I'm getting kind of hungry. I can't wait to go eat after this podcast. So we should probably get to the conversation at hand so I can get to that. Ever dreamed of embarking on legendary quest, unlocking hidden secrets, and discovering untold riches? Dive into the world of X, Seekers of Fortune. It's the game that's soon to be taking the internet by storm. Sign up today at xseekersoffortune.com and start your journey to greatness. Remember, fortune favors the bold. See you there. So as I brought up in the intro, the main topic today is uh, a series that we want to do where we talk about some of our filmmaking projects called Filmmaker uh, Foibles. You know, we had a solid, I'd say a solid run of at least seven, about seven years, maybe longer of, you know, trying out various projects as, you know, little indie filmmakers. Most of them were short films. Uh, there was a web series in there. We're going to try to get to all of them, but we want to start it. We kind of wanted to start chronologically with the one that I think has the most spiritual connection to our game X Seekers of Fortune, because this is a, a TV show we wrote, uh, together over the course of a few, I would say like what, a year, year and a half of our time we spent like developing this. We wrote a TV show together? Well, yeah, yeah. We're going to get to, to get to talking about it because our main topic today. That sounds cool. Our main topic today is the tall tale of Buda next three exits. So first I want, first we wanted to talk a little bit about the world building. I think the best way to kick that conversation off is Danny. Who is Phil Cashdollar? Well, that's a great question, Joel. I think Phil Cashdollar is a little bit of all of us. Now, the serious answer is he's mostly a lot of you. Uh, <laughs> if Kirvin wasn't here, I would have spit in his face. Uh, see, that's that's a that's a good reason for Kirvin not to be in every episode. We would the ongoing gag would be trying to get one of us to spit in his face by yeah. accident. Just catching off guard. To be clear, no one here wants to spit in Kervin's face. This is just like an accidental situation that happened. And this is going to come out as really weird because this was the last episode we recorded. Out of out of context, everyone's going to be like, why are they talking about this? It's fresh on our mind. I accidentally spit in Kervin's face in an episode because Joel said that he was a Genghis Khan apologist and meant every word of it. So I was just real, real taken aback by the the brazen comment out of Joel's mouth and accidentally spritzed. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was definitely like it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So if you want to go back, that should be episode twelve in the podcast. Uh, let's see if we left it in. <laughs> Maybe yes, at the end, I presume. As, <laughs> But but that is but and, uh, accidentally laughing so or, or maybe being so excited that uh, you you would spit in somebody's face. That is a trait that Phil Cashdollar as a character would have. Absolutely. I mean, so to give you the full full scope of who Phil Cashdollar is, Phil Cashdollar was the the main character in our TV show Buta Next Three Exits, and Phil was a high schooler who had uh, an appetite for fun and hot dogs. And he was always getting up to some kind of hijinks that usually involve causing quite a bit of mayhem in his town and dragging along his friends, who, generally speaking, were not completely aligned with his game plan. What would you add to that, Joel? Well, I think that, uh, you know, like one of the favorite characters of pop culture, the Joker, Phil Cashdollar is a bit of an agent of chaos. He would do mm. what he wanted 
and kind of impose, you know, it's it, he would create basically create problems out of things that he wanted to do or solutions he wanted to propose for other people's problems would just create more problems. A classic sitcom character where, you know, the story kind of builds up because of their incompetence, but their enthusiastic incompetence goes a long way. But he also had a little bit of a, I guess he had like a, he was a, he was a young man. He was supposed to be like a mid high schooler. So what? 15, 16 mm -hmm. was the ideal age range for him. And I, our idea, yep. I think, was that he was a bit of, even though I use the word incompetence, I don't think that's totally fair to Phil Cashdollar. He just was differently competent, if you will. And he... Very differently. Yeah, competent. and he would find esoteric solutions and pursue them, and they would sometimes work out. So he would almost have like the, you know, a toolkit of an action hero in that way. One time, Will, I generated an AI image of what I think Phil Cashdollar might have looked like, and I'll put it in the file so we can show people somewhere <laughs> here, there, or wherever. Yeah, in fact, maybe that could, if, if anything goes wrong with my video recording this week, we, maybe we could just paste Phil Cashdollar over my uh, video since he is. Yet another thing that will make no sense out of context, <laughs> but let's just say we've had some technical difficulties at the time of this recording hopefully not in this so recording. yeah if you if you folks want to pinpoint the exact date that we're recording this episode feel free to pull out your clues we'll let you know with a like if you get close um anyway i don't think we can talk about phil cash dollar without talking about his larger setting which is the small town of buda which is sort of a suburb of Austin, Texas at this point. Would you say that's a, a fair? Yeah, it would, at the time we wrote the show, it would have been described as a small town outside of Austin, Texas. But I think at this point, you would have to call it a suburb of Austin, Texas because of the rapid growth of Austin, Texas. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really just an honestly, I would say, honestly, it was a fun name that we were both inspired by at the time I was driving up to see you often in Austin. You were living in Austin. I was living in San Antonio and I would pass the sign, you know, Buda. I think it's technically Buda next to exits on my way through, but I remember passing that sign and just thinking Buda is a great name. We might as well name our town that uh, for various reasons. Um, so we were mm -hmm. just attracted to the name, but it was basically a stand in for small town, Texas in general. Which, and small town America, I would say. Mm -hmm. Just more with a Texas flavor, because obviously that was our backyard and we knew what to write mm -hmm. about it. But it really was a setting for us to talk about what was going on uh, in, in, in the world at that time, or specifically in the country. And this was circa, what, 2005, 2006? Yeah, roughly. I mean, I would say that we probably really started doing a lot of the heavy lifting on it in 2006 and uh, you know pushing into maybe 2007 so yeah i think 2005 was like when we conceived of the characters that would eventually go on to populate buta but i would say 2006 is like when we really started to you know bang that drum and start writing you know banging out scripts yeah sweet um but i think the thing that most excites me whenever i do think back to buta was how we were I would say we were both kids of the Simpsons generation. I know I'm a Simpsons super fan. I really hope to, you know, to, you know, show that muscle off uh, in the future. But to say the least, I think we both were inspired by what the Simpsons did over the course of four or five seasons. You know, their first four or five seasons, where they started building out this town of Springfield to have all these 
intricate, nuanced characters who started, some of them starting out as just gag one-off characters who then turned into, you know, uh, beloved characters. We were trying to do, I guess, from the get-go with Buda. We spent a lot of time talking about all the different facets of that town as much as we could perceive them and kind of coming up with all these little side stories, you know, um, the small shops, the most powerful man in town the you know his his team of cronies who keep him the most powerful man in town um you know mm -hmm. the local churches things like that things that the simpsons sort of tripped over over the course of years we were trying to install into our show nearly from the first episode it, it, these were conversations we would have like you know long conversations you know uh, sending us down the different avenues and alleyways of the town and so it the truly psychotic part of it was, I mean, again, you mentioned The Simpsons and also South Park was a major influence. These two sort of big animated shows that did big, wild, crazy things that we wanted to do, but for whatever reason, we thought we could do them in live action. So <laughs> that is, yeah, in, in retrospect, that was the biggest ask. It's like, let's do this huge, sprawling show, this huge, sprawling story, and also hire actors to play teenagers who are going to rapidly no longer be teenagers and i remember one time we handed a script to well and i'm sure we'll talk about about who this person is later but we handed in a script that we had written and her her like first note was like you think you can do this with a live bear <laughs> <laughs> and she was probably right we got defensive but let's face it she was right we're like hey, there's bears there's some very talented bears out yeah, there. yeah i mean i think you don't know all the I bears think in, in having gained some some experience, I think the idea that a bear to get a bear to sit in the corner with nobody approaching it is still like everybody is on high alert. To interact with a bear is like you need you, you definitely need the. Uh, I, it's not something you should probably put fifteen year old kids and you know in the same room with. I, if we actually had if we actually got through that and made that episode, I'm sure we would have gotten in trouble on online about having, you know, put people in those positions. But we were thinking a lot about trick photography and things like that. So we can get into the bear episode yeah. later. There would have at least been two different bears, like a stunt bear and a regular yeah. bear. Um, but it's like one of those things. We can't pitch the entirety of Buda next three exits to you, but we can kind of get into how far we went with it uh, to give you an idea of like what you know, what the world building was like. Now, usually I would say to, to preface the statement, usually when you write a TV show, uh, especially back then, they were starting to get into the idea of like plan out your season in advance. Uh, but I still think it was of the era that's like, you really want to have a great pilot. You want to make a great pilot and you just want, you just, you know, hope, you know, you have some ideas as to where you could take it. And you might have like, you know, a binder that has all the characters' names and maybe uh, you know, all the characters laid out and named and maybe a couple ideas of like where their story could go. We were young and full of energy and full of enthusiasm about this project. We kept pushing forward further and further. And you're a big person. You, you, you were the type of person who has to, you like to write the pages themselves in order to discover the story. So if I remember correctly, we wrote... We wrote roughly like I would say like at least four and a half episodes like from start to finish, and these were not your standard length episodes. We constantly got criticism from uh, from other folks that we were pushing the limits of page count for a thirty minute show. Like we're talking. Yeah, I think if memory serves me correct, um, 
correctly, like episode three in Charitable Action was 41 pages. 40, yeah, 41 pages. And at that time, I mean, there were people. Oh, you got something there, Danny? Yeah, this is actually the uh, the script for Inchurable oh, Action. Oh man, I love that you keep these things. We should do it. You know what? If we um, if you folks are interested, we'll do a table read together of the uh, script for Inchurable Action. I would need to reread this before committing to doing anything public. Fair with enough. This. We could at least maybe read a scene or two from Inchurable Action. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we would have to bleep the title of the pilot. So I would. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> so. Let's let's say the world has changed. It was 2005. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, internet, we should have known better. But, you know, it is it, the world has changed quite a bit since we were writing View to Next 3 Exits. So, um, but yeah, we had written at least like four and a half, maybe five episodes of the show. And we planned out, I would say we had a solid idea of what the main storyline would be for three different seasons. The one we were writing plus seasons two, two and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, we, we definitely had an arc that we wanted to follow the characters through. We had evolutions of the characters, evolutions for the town. Um, There's a lot of different commentary we wanted to touch upon. Um, but uh, yeah, instead, we just mostly wrote four crazy episodes and drove one lady crazy, who was kind enough to read them and give us notes and pretend it's not insane to try to do a full episode with a bear being shepherded through town by 15 year olds. Now we're now we're kind of bringing up Buda next three exits um, specifically to relate it to our current project, which is X Seekers of Fortune. And one of the things that I think we discovered through doing this is that the two of us have a desire to build worlds. And Danny, can you like, is there any sort of like relationship between the world building that we did for Buda next three exits and what we're doing now for X Seekers of Fortune. And where do you think, how do you think we've maybe learned from Buda next three exits and are becoming more successful with X Seekers of Fortune? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. I mean, I mean, for, for as long as we've known each other, I think that we've had an affinity for big worlds um, and, you know, lots of lore and myth. And I think we wanted to do that. You know, I, I, I kind of blame Star Wars for it. I think we both grew up being massively influenced by Star Wars, uh, Indiana Jones, other kind of series that had a lot of a lot of lore around them and a lot of extended universe, and and really enjoyed getting into the pockets and really feeling like you understood all the minutia that you know took place on and off the screen, and really feeling like the stories weren't just stories or films that like started and ended with the run you know the runtime. That idea that there was a, a world much bigger that you only saw glimpses of. And, you know, maybe if you were lucky, someday you would find a way to transport yourself there and experience more of it. And, um, you know, I think there was that, that, you know, I think once you have that sort of bug, you know, for, for you know, intricate worlds and stories, like you're, you're driven to try to make your own. Like you, you want to live there because that's the closest thing you're ever going to get to inhabiting a fictional world is building your own. I think, you know, just talking last night, you know, again, this is out of time, but last night we were doing Tuesday Night X. We talked to one of uh, our, 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 I don't want to call her a regular, but by the time you watch this, I'm sure she will be because, you know, she's one of the biggest um, players of the game. But she's running her own D&D campaign and she was walking us through all the intricate details of, of her campaign. And I mean, 
it really, you know, resonated with me because it's like, that's the same thing we're doing. We're just doing it for, you know, a graphic novel and a card game. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, there, I think I've got a little far off here from the original point, which is that, you know, <laughs> Bermuda 3X's was our first foray into doing it together. And I think we learned a little bit about how to approach building something big together. What, I mean, what do you Well, think? I think I could expand on what you were saying or maybe like maybe offer what could possibly be the lesson that I feel like might have been learned here based on what you were saying, which um, what was uh, most interesting to me or what is most interesting to me, I do agree, is like creating a world so big that you feel like you need to go there so you can see what's around the corners. And I think what maybe we've learned is knowing how much to really focus in on what's past the corner before we say, okay, that's enough. If we go down that hallway later, we can expand on it. But to, for us to talk much more about it is distracting us from the places we're actually going to. It's sort of like in filmmaking itself, when you get on set, you only have so much time uh, in a day to make your shot, make your scene. If you light and set deck an area that is not going to be shot at all, that is wasted time that you could have spent lighting and decorating a place that is in the frame. So, so yeah. it's like knowing it's, it's uh, just drawing a little bit past where you're going. And it's important to still, it's like follow through. You still want to go a little bit further past where you're stopping. That way the audience can still like kind of see it fade off but you don't need to like you don't need to have an answer for every single mystery all the time uh and i think that's what we're learning go we'll have conversations i think we know we know when okay this is where we're getting a little too in the weeds let's back up let's talk about because we still have an entire story to tell and we're only and we're doing it in such an interesting way this time this is so different than beauty next three exits because then we had to tell a story linear pretty much linearly as like episodic television. And this time we're telling stories non-linearly through art on cards. We're learning a lot more, like just in us working with artists right now. And hopefully by the time you're seeing this, you have seen some of the art or we've revealed some of the art for the cards. But now that we're working with artists and we can tell them what the story is, we have to, we're developing our characters. We're developing our scenes, our scenarios. We, um, we're not sure if every single card is going to be represented in the larger story and the 36, uh, the 36 cards are all going to be appearing in the larger story, but we're planning on making it happen. And that means that every time we touch on a card, we have to ask, where does this card, where do they, where, if it's a relic, where do they find it? Well, that ties it to a site. Uh, it's like, okay, is there any sort of, are any of the feats happening at that site? Where does this feat happen? And now we're starting to tie all the things together and it's creating a journey. And it reminds me, um, this might be a little off the beating path, but it's something I learned from how they said Tolkien did it. And a lot of the great fantasy writers, I think a lot of people have taken this lesson because steal from the best, baby, steal from the best. <laughs> Tolkien would start by drawing his map and the path that his characters would have to take. And then he would follow that path in order to write the story. So he knew the path they had to take. Now he has to create you know, the situation. So I think with the way that we're doing this, we have the cards, we're laying them out in chronological order. And, and some of those cards are sites. So we're saying they go to this site, and then they go to this site, and then they go to this site. And that's kind of like setting up the scenes and the stages for the conflict and for the action. 
Yeah, that's something that we've often talked about, which is, you know, we often feel like we work best with some sort of creative mm-hmm. limits. We, we're both very big, uh, have very big imaginations. Mm-hmm. And with world building, like you said, you can go off on all these like, you know, side roads that no one's ever going to see. And it's a complete, you know, waste of your time. So you need a little discipline, yeah. right? And so the cards really kind of give us that box to work through. It's like, we got to tell a story that, you know, captures these moments. So, you know, where's the leap of faith happen? Where, where, where do the records get burnt? You know, what is the irradiated crater? Uh, how does the excavator's pick work? All these things are, are questions we have to answer. And for us, I think, like, we love that challenge. That's, that, to us, that's like, I think, like music to our ears, like, cool. How do we, how do we get all these pieces to fit together? How do we make this puzzle mm-hmm. work? Well, yeah, I, I would definitely say music to my ears. I got to sit down just to do a little prelim, preliminary work, like starting at the beginning and, and like, here's the site the first scene takes place at. Here are the relics that would be featured at that scene. Here's the feats that creating the moments, uh, the beats of the scene. Um, and I worked through, you know, I would suggest uh, 75% of what I would imagine to be the first chapter. And that still leaves a lot more. And and this is just like a, this is just like a bulleted list with a couple of handful of notes. This is not like full-blown scene writing or anything like that. Um, but, you know... But similar to Buta, we definitely are getting ahead of ourselves, uh-huh. right? We're talking about future sets and how the yeah. stories that we're telling now factor into you know sets down I the know, line. And I'm, I, I, I do apologize if sometimes I come across as the as the guy who's like, okay, we that's awesome, but we have to we have to come back to down to reality. I'm I'm definitely like trying to live in the the uh, here and now uh, more so and talk about like what's going on. But it is good for you to ask those questions because. We are still even debating, is this going to be a, con- a story with continuity of characters, or are we going to, much like other card games, uh, other TCGs, every time we release a new set, it uh, take place in a new location with different characters? And that's that's like an ongoing debate, and that's going to have a big impact on how this first set ends. The storyline, if these characters, if this was it for them, or they weren't. This was meant to be like their most important story. That would change how we plan future stories, or and uh, and it would also change how we set up this ending. If this, if they are meant to go on more and more uh, on other adventures, then we need to end them in a less resolved way. So we have to make that decision. This is another big lesson I think that we could draw from it, which is, you know, when you're when you're telling big stories that take place over the course of multiple seasons or. Uh, movies or books or whatever, you're, you're always writing with an eye to the future. How do you foreshadow? How do you make sure that you pay things off? How do you keep people engaged? How do you build questions and, and intrigue? Um, and how do you make sure that you don't write yourself into a mm-hmm. corner, right? And that's very similar to designing a game where you know you're going to have multiple expansions and rules and mechanics coming. And how do you design a game that isn't going to end up being broken as soon as you release another uh, expansion. So I think a lot of that like forward thinking mentality about designing games uh, with future expansions and the need to be backwards compatible and forwards compatible, I think a lot of that we learn from world building through projects like Buta Next 3 Access. 100% agree um, with that. And it is it is like you have to do just enough forward forecasting. You can, you can go... Are you uh are you eating on the podcast? <laughs> no, I'm I'm just very You're... parched. Will Will can show the okay. audience like a supercut of how many times. Oh I've wow, yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> so, I can so. I can appreciate that. We're it's... we're Texans, and water is one hundred percent necessary all the time. 
Um, well, one thing that I think has allowed us to get this far ahead with confidence, though, is the fact that we're keeping this lower to the ground and as a project that we can finish. And that is probably where Butanex 3 exits. We can we can set up the fiction of the world, but we really need to get delve into the reality of trying to produce it. And that's where it comes time for us to talk about working with others versus relying on others. So, Danny, just to set the scene, who who did we work with to try to bring Buta Next 3 Exits to life? Yeah, so, you know, Buta Next 3 Exits really started as us trying to write our very first feature film, which is uh, was called V.D. Dickerson Presents, and it was about a character that was sort of a proto Phil Cash Dollar, probably also called Phil Cash Dollar, uh, trying to uh, do some things. So I he was trying to make a movie. We can at least say that. What kind of movie? Well, you fill in the blank. The kind that Will would bleep yeah. a lot. So uh, hey, I think it's the type uh, that would get us uh, demonetized if we ever got monetized. Yeah, and also the kind of thing that Joel would base a game off of and then get bleeped a lot when he was explaining it on a past podcast. So um, anyway, so we had a script for that. And then I think at that point, maybe we decided that we wanted to try to turn it into a TV show because we wanted to do something serial. I think we had become really inspired by serial mm -hmm. television. Um, and I had just like through happenstance mm -hmm. met this guy at a coffee shop um, who said that he had some friends that were looking for different pilot scripts uh, to option. They had started their production company. It was called Reversal Films. And uh, he set up a meeting for us with these folks to, you know, pitch them our script and see what they thought. And uh, so we, we went and we met with them. Um, and um, their names were uh, Vic, Nick, and Kat. And... Um, we showed them the script, we talked about it, and um, they liked it enough to um, option it for $1. And <laughs> uh, How did, how and did you so, spend that dollar? I don't think I got my 50 cents. I don't think I got it either. Actually, hold on. I think I still have Vic on LinkedIn. Hold on, I should ask him <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, this might sound I, petty, but where's yeah. my buck? <laughs> Well, you owe me a dollar. Can you spend And with five? inflation, it's a dollar seventy-five um, at this point. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, honestly, like if we do a future episode, I mean, we ended off on good terms with all those guys. I, I think that they, I mean, they, 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 um, they did their best with the script. I think they were trying to figure out where where they could get things done in the market, and um, we were a potential opportunity, uh -huh. and. Um, you know, it just, it wasn't something they could get traction on. So, I mean, we never really got where we were going with it, but I think it was worth it, if nothing else, for the time we got to spend with Kat. I mean, she really put a lot of time and energy into giving us notes on our stories. Mm -hmm. And I honestly felt like we leveled up a lot as writers and storytellers just through working with Kat. And I hope maybe one day we can even have her on the podcast. Yeah, that, I think she would be a great conversation, especially to catch up with her uh, all these years later, now that we're... <laughs> You know, I, I don't I don't think we were the worst t young twenty something men, but I think we were still we still had a lot to learn uh, at that in that era, and we had high high hopes and expectations, and I think we, you know, we had that optimism that comes with being you know young and naive, and it, well, that we can get into exactly how things went with everything, but for the most part, they were a 
they were an in, an interesting team that were that you were right. They were looking for multiple projects to build their own company with. We were just one, but from our perspective, we thought we were we thought we were the most important one. And I do think they were trying to give us maybe guidance that maybe we weren't quite listening to because one thing that I I always go back to as like the shoulda coulda woulda of the era and of Buda Next Three Exits is. And, and this is a question we should both try to ponder on is at the time, what could we have done to introduce the characters to grow our audience before making the pilot? Is that a question uh, for me or is that rhetorical? <laughs> I think it's a question for both. <laughs> I think it's a question for both of us. Uh, uh, you know, that's an interesting question in part because 2005 was a very different mm -hmm. era. I mean, I think Facebook was still behind the college uh, email address mm -hmm. wall. Like there were definitely, you couldn't get on to Facebook. I mean, I remember when high schoolers started getting on Facebook and it, everyone got up in arms, yeah. right? Um, kind of the way that, you know, Gen, Gen Z got up in arms when anyone over the age of, I don't know, 23 started getting on TikTok. Um, <laughs> it's, the, their, the, it's their the, public private space. They want to keep it for themselves, but they have no way of keeping others out. It's a it's a it's a good question, Joel. I mean, I'm really interested in hearing your answer to this because I don't know in that era how I would have approached doing anything grassroots that could have built the kind of audience that would have because it's not just building an audience, right? Like one, there was no place to congregate digitally online to gather people, and then two, everything was at that time still about broadcast, you know, and. Internet videos were like barely a thing at that point. I mean, there were internet videos, but the idea that you could have a successful career um, doing things on the internet was was um, still a glimmer in a lot of people's eyes. I'm not even sure YouTube was out. Oh, point. YouTube was definitely um, out, but we're talking infant YouTube, like YouTube that most people probably just thought it was a cool way to try to watch TV shows if they could you know, flip the image so that whatever rudimentary algorithms were like searching for copyrighted content wouldn't find it. You know, this was this was mm -hmm. YouTube before the, you know, uh, before the prank channel, before, you know, video essays, for sure, before the video essay, before the video podcast, or maybe right at the dawn of the video podcast. I mean, the YouTube we should have been using, uh, but we wouldn't have used it for this purpose because we were always aspiring for, I think we were always holding ourselves to the cinematic uh, like quality. And at the time, at the era, you we still couldn't walk into a store. Today, and maybe in the past five years, I feel confidently you could walk into a store and if you had a few grand to drop, you could buy a camera that with the right lighting and the right other equipment to back it up, you could buy a camera that could uh, get you like cinematic quality. You could shoot a short film with a, you know, a camera you bought off the counter. We were almost there near the end of our, you know, run as like thinking of us thinking of ourselves as filmmakers, but not at the beginning. At the beginning, even we knew that you couldn't just make this on your own. Uh, you needed to get, you know, professional grade equipment. Um, I guess I have, I'm of two minds of the what we could have done to get our characters out there. And maybe we could have done both. Maybe we could have done one. Ultimately, we did neither. Um, I was a big fan of web comics at the time, and while there isn't necessary, wasn't necessarily the best place for people to congregate online. I think Reddit was just around the corner, 
and that would that could have like really inspired us but i think if we could have found somebody to help us i wasn't i was trying to illustrate at the time and i think i was okay but i still wasn't i don't know i i i don't know if we had what we needed at the moment at that time to do a solid web comic but i think the characters would have really flourished in that and i think you know ultimately it was probably one of our foibles that we tr kept pushing buta next three exits as a live action series we probably should have been trying to get it as an animated series and that would have uh if we had introduced the characters in web comic format we could have worked on their um designs we could have worked on the world building we could have like done a lot of work for cheap that could just immediately be translated to uh an animated series a lot of a lot of great animated series came from comics like the boondocks for example uh the simpsons and on a technicality kind of the simpsons matt Groening started out as a comic book writer he didn't sell his his comic book life in hell uh as the show, but I mean, he got the meeting to sell the Simpsons or to pitch the Simpsons based off of his work on life, life and hell, uh, for better or worse. Dilbert is an example. Baby blues is an example. There's a long list of comics turned to animated TV shows. So I really think, and we, and who knows what audience or maybe we could have made a graphic novel if when all, all, everything else failed, maybe we could have turned our scripts into like graphic novels and sold them you know, to our audience who was bought, who was like looking at the webcomic if we built an audience. So webcomic was the first one that comes to mind. It was definitely the heyday of the webcomic back then. Um, now, and now like a webcomic is almost expected to be like s almost single panel used to <laughs> back then, back in my day, webcomics were three panels. You had the setup and then the, uh, well, it wasn't the punchline. What is it? What is it called? Is it's like your setup, you have your twist and then your punchline, the middle, whatever panel. the middle panel is. Oh, yeah. Twist. Yeah, the middle panel. That's like the filler panel, right? I guess so. It depends on what kind of story you tell. If you're telling a joke, it's a it's a a twist panel, I think. And if you're telling a spy, you know, a Spider-Man, a dramatic comic, that's where all the story happens. Have you, have you, you know, oh. you know, like how those Spider-Man comics used to work in the comic strips. There are three no. panels. Panel one, recap of what happened last time. Panel two, the thing, the something new happened this time. Panel three. A cliffhanger that ultimately will be recapped in panel one of the next issue. So really, panel one and three are like retreads every single time. It's only the middle panel that pushes the story forward. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we aren't working with panels. <laughs> um, that sounds like awful, but I'm sure there's a way to make it less awful. Um, oh. You know, though, just I, I think. You know, you you did have one more of these, yeah. though, right? Like the second was, one would have been yeah. the classic of the era: make a short film. We mm. could have, I mean, it might not have if we were going the live action route, getting you know finding people to play the boys. We already we already had an adult man to play one of the characters who could have stayed on if the if the if we had to switch out the boys. I'm sure we could have. Who? Uh, Josh. Oh. <laughs> I was thrown by you calling him an adult you, man. You know, uh, you know what I'm saying. Like, I've never thought of Josh as an adult man. I've always just thought of him as yeah, a Josh. Uh, I, I understand, Josh. Uh, but you know, we could have made like a scenario, like a 10 minute scenario, filmed it. You know, got the money together to film it with higher quality production. You know, do use it as a proof of concept. Send, submit it to film festivals and see if we got any traction. You've lost an incredible amount of weight since that time, because I remember we did do those like short 
So remember those those photographs yeah. we did, like a, a photograph, and and you played Phil, and Josh played Brian, and you, he was like measuring your stomach and feeding you hamburgers yes. and things. I do remember that. Yeah, it was it, interesting. You were like, you had a gun for some reason. Well, the plot line, if I remember correctly, was Phil cashed. And this, I mean, this is a great example of what we were imagining Phil cash dollar to get into. Phil cash dollar hears that there's a communist plot a communist agent in his community. So he starts training with his friend, Brian, in order to be, you know, capable of taking down the communist threat. And then he ambushes the communist in a parking garage and shoots him dead and is the hero. Yeah, so I mean, is that obviously it sounds a little bit more like one of <laughs> exploits than a good idea. Well, that's I think that was always like, uh, and that was the that's the fun part that keeps you know it's like okay, how does you know influence Phil to do something crazy, and how does Simon, the other main character, who is like the the point Dexter of the group, like you know, but the guy who keeps everything together as best as possible, how does he? try to stop Phil or, you know, how does he manage to turn Phil's like crazy antics into actually being helpful? I mean, Simon basically only mitigate, like Simon's success at the end of every episode was like mitigating 10 to 20% of the total chaos that Phil yeah. created. It was never like a full blown fix. It was always just like, Oh, this could have been worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Phil was, was the uh, loose cannon cop who plays by his rules, and Simon was the new rookie detective. You know, new rookie detective set to you know set to keep him on you know straight you know on the straight and narrow basically. So tying this back though, for you know what what we learned here, um, so there's two things that I kind of want to touch on, right? Like one is you know we we were doing something really grand, um, and especially at that time, you know where everything was broadcast dependent, the odds that we could influence that outcome ourselves was very, very limited. Um, even, even honestly, if you think about what the production company reversal films could have done for us was extremely limited in the face of the studio, uh, system that was in place at that time and still relatively strong. So, you know, the big lesson there is, you know, if you want to be successful, you need to have more leverage over the outcome. And when we came to approaching X seekers of fortune, that's why, like, from the very beginning, we we were just incrementally doing what we could. And it was just Joel and I, you know, toiling away, you know, uh, for for months by ourselves because we could do that. We didn't need to rely on anyone else. And then incrementally starting to to build and scale as as we absolutely needed to and finding the partners along the way that could help us. But at the end of the day, you know, we found we, we 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 chose an endeavor that we felt like we could actually execute ourselves. It wasn't dependent on the buy-in of a big corporation or you know a bunch of people who had influence. It was something that we could do ourselves. One hundred percent. That's I think that's a huge thing, and it's changed a lot in the era. Like since we were young, younger folks to today. Your, your, the idea, I think like the idea, if you were to talk, you know, talk to a young person today who wanted to get a media career and unless they really wanted to get to the top of the heap, like they were looking to climb the hierarchy of Hollywood, you, I would be perplexed to hear them say that they wanted to go through the studio system with every outlet that they have today to make quality content on their own or with a small group of people. And I see it all the time, like great, you know, great comedic sketches 
you know, like quick short films on, on TikTok, on YouTube, but all more so like, and, and now like media is becoming so much more nuanced, like the type of shows that, what, what would, was there anything on TV that you would compare to the modern day video essay, which has obviously taken a huge hold of people's attention? Like I can listen, like you don't have to watch them. You can mostly listen. It's sometimes you miss some punchlines because it was a visual gag, but you know, most of the information is like, you know, all said, so you can listen to it without having to watch. You can just keep it on in the background. You can watch intently and you can make them on YouTube. You can make them as long as you want to versus like the constraints of network TV talking earlier about how we turned in such long scripts. 41 pages was ridiculous. And I think we started, I think maybe, the people at Reversal Films might have gotten uh, part of the reason they might have gotten cold feet is we were coming in with a comedy about kids. And then at some point we were like, yeah, and it probably needs to be an hour long show. And I don't and especially yeah. based on the standards of the broadcast system, that wasn't going to fly. Yeah, they're like 20 minute animated and we're like 60 minute live action. <laughs> yeah. They're like, no, <laughs> here's take your dollar. Yeah, and go. But actually, we're not going to give you the dollar. Yeah. Actually, I don't honestly know what happened to that dollar. I feel like it's out there somewhere. Well, I'm, it, there's a dollar out there that is has our name on it. N not literally, figuratively. And it should come back to us. Um, now let's make sure we keep the first dollar we make from X Seekers of Fortune. Have we made that yet? No, no. we have not. But maybe by the time this yeah. airs. Yeah, we have, well, we have some plans cooking, but it would be... Uh, but we'll probably you will probably already know about the plans we have cooking by the time you see this because we would have already revealed them on a regular episode so more than likely um i guess just to round out that because this is i would suggest that beauty next three exits i mean it changed a lot in my life i i think to say it didn't would be a lie because it was the catalyst that spurred me to make the move from san antonio to austin texas to move uh you know move up here to be with you at the time so we could do writing every day. Um, so it got me disciplined enough to get money together, however I did, to uh, change cities. So I think that was a huge change in my life. But at some point, you know, this was like I was investing possibly too much into the show, uh, into the show going somewhere and doing something for us. And it just spurted out and we just stopped talking about it less like we we started talking about it less and less and less and other projects came up that you would get excited about but i think uh i was always kind of like hoping that we would eventually get back to it for probably a little maybe a little bit longer than you did do you i guess like before we move on to like where it, where we are today do you just remember how the you let how you felt leaving you know like when you felt like you left beauty the next three exits behind and you know how you feel about it today and when you knew it was time to move on well i think at a certain point it seemed clear i think reversal films maybe had broken up or something like that that probably was part uh -huh. of it because i that's i forget exactly when that happened but i think that they had a fracture and then i think at that point it seemed clear based on what was happening with them that we weren't going to have their support um and you know to remind everyone i mean this was happening when, when Joel and I were like 19 and 20. So you have to think about like all this decision-making through the lens of a 19 and 20 year old. And I mean, I would not do business with a 19 and 20 year old at all. Um, 
I, you know, except for in a very specific, you know, context as, as somebody in their 30s. At least not anything that was relying on them to do a mm-hmm. lot. Uh, just because you, you, they, they, they lack perspective. Mm-hmm. And we definitely lack perspective. Um, you know, for me... Hey, hey is that Yuki? That's I Yuki. assume so. It's too big to be Winston. Yeah, she's she's too big and too like you know out of the way. So this is Yuki, and hopefully Yuki will just stay here. Is she is she trying to do a mustard seed impression? I don't know what she's trying to do. She just, she just woke up and she's grumpy as hell. But she's now moving on to be in front of my computer. If you come into my lap, you can stick around. But if you <laughs> she's giving me a such why well, do I feel like she's gonna claw you across the face real slowly. I don't know <laughs> yeah anyway. I think I think we can continue on I'll get I'll give her some attention if she interrupts much more though I'll I'll strike her from the set I, you don't you need to use the word strike with a cat you can just say like gently set her outside the door <laughs> let's not give people the impression that you're too influenced by Genghis Khan um I think that for me it was really that I just you know, sometimes with these things, it's like they kind of just recede um, into the back of your priorities. I think I was, you know, I think you had just moved up there. I think my brother had just moved there. I think I had just started the relationship that would become my marriage. Um, I think that I was in film school and starting to make, you know, films uh, for class. And, um, you know, life just kind of started pulling in another direction and it seemed like, you know, Buta would have to go on ice. Like, I don't think I psychologically ever said we're not going to make Buta. And I think if you asked me to this day, I would say we're probably not, but I wouldn't ever give you the answer that we were completely not. I think it would be different Mm -hmm. doing it now. Um, But, you know, like I always used to think of it as like a project that we would put in the drawer on the shelf. And one day when we had the means to produce things that we would produce Mm -hmm. them you know, if we were interested in it still. So, yeah, I don't know that there was ever like a really clean, you know, breaking point with me. I think it was just kind of like something that I felt like I paused and forgot about. Yeah. Okay, Yuki. Sorry, I just have to get this mouse. I guess I'll put my mouse over here now. And she's decided the desk is hers. Um, you can see how, how thin my iron fist is it's like she's now done exactly what i asked her not to do and she's i have a very yeah, thin i have fist. a very soft <laughs> soft iron fist um where are we at time wise okay yeah we're doing okay on time i would because i do want to try to be somewhere by seven. Oh my goodness the days just fly by and that's i think what happened with in some ways like with my feelings towards beauty next three exits is you know the j- days keep going by and you stop talking about it every day and you're not developing it further and you're not like writing script pages you know i think we sput like i said sputtered out like either four and a half or five and a half scripts in and these were serious scripts that we would write and rewrite and you know work our way through and out like you know have outlining sessions and everything like that we were like a two-man writer's room at that point um but I think it just, for me, I think the thing was, is realize, I realized that we weren't ready to be those people. I think you, you start to learn, like you, you, and maybe, maybe this is what reversal films was trying to teach us and teach me is like, you start to learn that there's so much that goes into these film productions into being what is now known as a showrunner, which was a, like, kind of like a whispered about mythical, like, this is the real people behind, you know, who, who make your TV these are like the art tours who make your TV back then. And now it's like a coveted position right next to the film director um, that uh, the showrunner was. And 
you know, it's like if I knew now, if I knew back then what I know now, I would have been like, are you crazy? You're not going to be the showrunner of the show. If it's made, they're going to bring somebody in to at best mentor you. And that's assuming they don't just kick you out the door and take over the project. Yeah, I mean, it. there's no way any studio would have been like, oh, a couple 19-year-olds. Yeah, we'll we'll give them a few million dollars to make a TV show. That'll turn out well. Zero <laughs> percent. Yeah. So, well, I guess that's where we left it. And I love the idea that you still think it could be in our, okay, Yuki, um, it could still be in our desk drawer ready to be pulled out, dusted off, and like kind of revisited. So I think just to round things out, uh, we, people have a general idea of what Beauty Next Three Exits is. It's it's essentially about you know three, uh, three. You have a cat ear. Okay, I'm going to have to like let her out. Uh, we'll pick back up with this question though. Okay. <laughs> She's just looking into the light. So I really appreciate that your idea, and I I I, I do believe it in some in some ways to be true that to next three exits is sitting in a drawer somewhere literally at your house it seems you uh, you pulled out one script i'm sure you have a couple others around um that and it's ready to be pulled out dusted off and given another look over by us um i guess just to you know update things or to talk about like where we would go with it if we got an opportunity to make it in some fashion we wrote it back in 2005, and we kind of touched on the fact that we wouldn't even be confident, you know, blind reading the script out loud in front of people. So what type of changes do you think we might have to make to make it for the 2024? I mean, like, let's be honest, if we really made this, it might be 2030, uh, you know, if it got made. So is there any changes off the top of your head that you would make to the story? Yeah, but most of them I don't feel comfortable talking about on the podcast. Well, I have a couple of changes that I would make to the story. You want to hear? You yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Let's okay. See. Back in 2005, the idea of an influencer hadn't really been developed. And if you talk, uh, from what I understand, if you talk to a lot of kids these days, at least for a little while, their ideal job was YouTuber. I'm sure it might have clicked over to TikToker, but the idea that you could create your own media career um, in your on your phone in your backyard is humongous these days and kids back then I'm sure we had a scene where Phil Cashdollar used a camcorder to do like some backyard wrestling or something like that and that was you know that was an early version of going viral but now it is like an actual pathway to career and our characters I think the thing that united at least two of our characters was that they were kind of poor kids but poor kids these days do have access to these means to get noticed and attention. So I think I would have written it as, uh, I think I've pitched this to you before, Phil, Simon, and the older one who's like in his early 20s or mid 20s would be in uh, aspiring social media influencers of some variety. They, I think they all have different goals, but they are the only three people in this town trying to do that thing. And so they help each other. Phil is doing like, you know, prank shows or prank style podcasts or like our, our dare style videos for YouTube and TikTok. Simon holds the camera for our camera for him and Simon, you know, like make sure that it's as safe as possible. He's lookout, you know, doing his like, you know, long form music reviews, you know, Phil and Simon are there helping him set up lights. Simon is doing his like man on the street uh, reaction, you know, getting reactions to the topic of the day. 
you know, Phil's there like getting people to sign the consent forms and whatnot. You know, that they, they work, I would have them operate as a team. Then you would see them helping each other create the, this content, these videos. And that would always give them a reason to be in the middle of something because they're trying to get a video made or they're, because of the video they're trying to make, they're drawn to an attraction. Like, you know, Simon might have a more political journalistic approach to what he's doing. So he's constantly trying to get into the bad situations that are happening around town to learn what the story is. Yeah, no, I think that that would be would be cool. Um, there's a, there's a lot of ways you can take that influencer, uh, you know, tropes and 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 have fun and get in the middle. I mean, honestly, most influencers, most YouTubers, kind of seem like the kids in X and uh, not X Seekers of Fortune, but in X Three X. It's like I I feel like when I listen to interviews or you know behind the scenes of people making YouTube videos, especially early on, it's like. Yeah, we snuck into this insane asylum and then we got like stopped in the streets by a helicopter and a, you know, a bunch of police officers because we were dressed in black and had backpacks and we were too close to a school and like things just, you know, get out of hand real crazy, mm -hmm. you know. So I think it would have been a perfect fit uh, for, for the Yeah, police. exactly. And um, they would always have a reason to be doing something and have a reason to have like be stopped by the cops, but also have an alibi, you know, so that they could. Not that they would get out of every situation in a small town, Texas. You try to get away with that in a small town. Um, the, mm -hmm. I think, but it would be like, they would, they would have at least, you know, they, they would be able to have relationships with almost every adult in town because all the adults would know that those are the kids with the cameras who are getting in the way. Yeah. Nice. So now, Buta next to your exits didn't work, but we were, we believe today that we've learned that persistence equates to inevitability. And we are at the very least persistent people when it comes to trying to make a uh, big major project like X Seekers of Fortune, like Buda and X3 Exits. So, uh, you know, just maybe to set the stage for a future episode like this, uh, what do you remember as being the next thing you moved on to after Buda sort of uh, failed to materialize? You know, just kind of what I said before, um, life. I mean, I school, school, um, short films. I was in film school at UT at that time. I made my my first films, um, black and white. You know, silent films um, that I was trying to uh, just kind of understand filmmaking, um, just experimental stuff, uh, making relationships with. Um, folks like William, you know, honestly, it probably all melded together because when I really think about it, I think that Buda was still somewhat active in 2007. So I don't really know when the plug was pulled on it exactly, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what I, what I moved on in terms of a specific project, nothing huge in my mind. What about for you? Well, it was a very ten, you know, cause you definitely had much more of, um, an in to filmmaking stuff. And you're also much more of a social person, butterf a social butterfly who's like constantly meeting new people. Uh, you might not believe it, but you know, I do think like you're really good at making new relationships and kind of finding new things to work on. And I'm much more of like toiling away at my, you know, solo in my home. So I don't tend to always know like what is going to be my next project that I'm working with on somebody else. And um, I would say that what I recall, uh, what I what I think I remember 
most clearly and vividly is shortly after Buda failed to materialize and we were sort of still in that in-between space, you were start, you started working with Nick and Josh Holden um, much more regularly. And that will definitely lead us to our next foibles uh, down the line. But uh, yeah, a lot yeah. of foibles. I, I mean, I, I really have a hard time pinpointing like what exactly was my next film project. I think I was a little bit burnt out on it. I think I started thinking maybe I should try doing comic books since that was such a big consideration at the time that Buta could have could have succeeded as a comic. So I th started like trying to develop stories and ideas. And I had a few, but I think we start stopped working less directly with each other. And I was trying to build something on my own and not realizing that you were the catalyst. Like, I think, you know, like an engine turning over, you know, it takes both of us, like one of us is the engine block and one of us is the gasoline. And it's, you know, use that metaphor, like the metaphor could change day to day or idea to idea, but so, like one of us does something that causes the explosion, uh, the, the explosion in the other person. And that is what gets us going. And I, so I think like when you're work, when I'm working alone, it would take me what I, what I could get done with you in like two months would probably take me a year. Mm -hmm. you, know? you know, it's one of the things when I look back at it that I think, you know, I, I bugs me the most about that era is I, I feel like I was too uncompromising. Like, I feel like there was just way too many times where I, f I like felt like it had to go the way that I wanted it to go. And, you know, as, as we like reapproach partnership later in life here, right? Like talking about the difference between our late thirties and our early twenties, mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I've been very cognizant of is, is really trying to make sure that, you know, I don't fall into trying to be, you know, um, too, too, too controlling of things, right? Like that, that was something I felt like I, you know, when I, when I reflect on how I was during that period of time, I felt like, you know, I, I had such a, a strong desire to execute on what I saw as my vision that, you know, I, I think the project was worse for it, right? Like, I think I hadn't learned really how to truly play well with others. I mean, I felt like, you know, I was, I, I liked collaborating with other people and, and, I, and I, I enjoyed it, but I, I hadn't quite figured out how to be a good partner yet. I think there was, that's, that is like learning the the process of learning from being a young man to a you know a what's the best word for it it's not that we're old men but we're men and or or grown-ups at the very least that's like i think you really learn to check your ego at the door and i think we're much better about uh because i mean i have that i have that a little bit of that too and i think we're getting better about you know calling each other out when things it's like okay yeah you want it to be perfect but it's not going to be perfect so we might as well what do we need to do to get it to what we talk, talked about in the past minimum viable product you know and it's like now that we're old enough to know that we you, you only capture perfect every now and then along the way and every other time that you don't capture perfect you just need to make sure you get it well enough for it to keep going yeah, I mean, I, I think one of the things that really helps us get to that point or help me get to that point is, I mean, you see how hard it is to be successful and this ties into persistence, mm -hmm. right? Like we've done so many things together over the 20 years that we've been friends. And, you know, we use this metaphor often when we're talking about, you know, landing a plane or getting a, a plane off the ground. You know, we, we really didn't feel like we ever got a plane off the ground until Next Seekers of Fortune. 
And now it's less about getting the plane off the ground and more about getting the plane to land in a new place um, with all the people still on board. And um, it, it, it's not the kind of thing that we would have, um, I don't think we would have the mentality or I wouldn't have the mentality I have today if I hadn't gone through the setbacks and sort of like the, the you know, let's call them like um, momentary failures. I don't really look at them as failures in the grand scope of things, but you know, those, those moments where your expectations get dashed, things don't work out the way you want them to, right? Everyone has the highest hopes, you know, when they embark on a new adventure that, you know, they're going to make a movie that's going to, you know, resonate with people and get seen and it's going to launch their career or they're going to write a great comic book or whatever it is. And sometimes when those things putter out and don't, you know, don't work, turn out the way that you want them to, it's very easy to, you know, sort of self-identify with that outcome and say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a failure. I'm not capable of doing this. Um, but, you know, if you stick with it, if you're persistent, if you believe in yourself and you look for the lessons along the way, you may get to a point where things just start working because the accumulated knowledge and experience actually amounts to something that, um, makes for success. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where I hope we are, but you know, I've seen a lot of planes crash. Uh, I haven't had the unfortunate, you know, terrifying, you know, uh, blessings of seeing a plane crash myself, but I know what you mean. I should say that that was, that was not a literal statement. (laughs) I have not been misfortunate enough or (laughs) no, unfortunate. To see the misfortune, yeah, unfortunate of mm. many in-person plane crashes. Yeah, or... the, the, not a sight I've ever seen. I think that would be that would be next level terrifying for me. Uh, having knowing that I'm going to be traveling on a lot more planes soon, I am avoiding the thought at all. Um, no, I think that that's. I think that that's. There, the, yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot there, and I do believe that you are correct. It's it. We had. I would say there might be one plane one or two planes that we landed in our filmmaking careers, but they weren't big ones. They were like personal, like small engine planes and they, the landing wasn't particularly spectacular, you know? Uh, so yeah, I think this is much more, we'll, we'll get to a couple yeah, of those. I'm this, sure. this one, I mean, it feels like we're building up more towards like a, you know, a Boeing 747 landing, but you know, because we're, we are picking up passengers along the way and you know, we can uh, definitely get more into that here in the next few episodes because our, you know, our fan base is, seemingly just you know trickling in and uh we're just waiting for that point yeah, trickling. trickling but we're waiting for that point where that trickle turns into a flood um so i guess to round out the conversation about this uh the big thing that tied buta next three exits to x seekers of fortune in our mind that uh, was the amount of lore that we have going on so i i have two questions about that first of all why is it that whenever we put our heads together we eventually end up with this complex lore and vivid character I know we touched a little bit on this before, but um, do you have any other ideas why it may be less about like our influences and more about like what causes us to keep refining and growing? And like, we're almost like farmers out there planting seeds. Honestly, and you know, this is interesting because, you know, when you start working with other people um, and they give you feedback, oftentimes you, you get to see yourself through the eyes of others and it, it informs you a little bit more about what might be different about you than the general population. And I think one thing that maybe is, you know, I'm not saying that we're, 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 we're super special in some way, but maybe we're, you know, 
statistically outside of of the you know the normal distribution on imagination you know i mean not going to say everything that we imagine is good but i think both of us have enormous imaginations and i think like you said we kind of feed off of each other like we just we have a creative chemistry that i think is pretty powerful um and so you know i think if you have two people who like building worlds and have an inclination towards it and big imaginations and sort of this sort of like uh you know, like you said, like an you know they're they're they they come together to form that engine block and that gasoline, and it just starts going. Like I, th I think it almost starts to feel inevitable that you know we're gonna end up building out something more more complex than just you know. And we didn't set out to tell a giant story with X. In fact, if anything, I was trying to put my foot down and say let's let's try to keep it simple. <laughs> I think my initial my initial initial pitch was to tell like four different you know short stories set in different locations and just depict them on the cards that way and uh, then we could release like like four mini comics or something like that as you know but no it's more and more leaning towards I mean we just had a meeting with a um, a somebody to help us with the design like the card templating and the typography to give us like her two cents. And she did a great job of explaining like, you know, a different way of approaching it because I know enough about type to know I don't know enough about typography. But that aside, when she asked, how would you describe your story? I was like, I guess it's Indiana Jones meets Lord of the Rings. And I, when I thought about that, I was like, <laughs> what have I set myself up for? <laughs> uh, that was funny too. Cause like when you said that, I was just like, oh, I guess that's what we're doing. <laughs> like I didn't. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I've, I, we didn't talk about that, Joel, but I can't disagree yeah. with you. <laughs> well, I mean, you, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and that also, that, that right there raises the, my final question of today's podcast, which was these things aren't necessarily needed for a card game. They've been a done before in a card game, but they're not needed. You could, a card game can be like very sporadic and very much like just like a, a montage of images versus like a, a linear story. And it's, it's not like, it's not like we can tell an entire story in the card game. So how are we planning on telling the story of X Seekers of Fortune? Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it is a two prong approach, right? So we are going to write a graphic novel eventually, mm -hmm. um, partner with a writer and we'll help with the story. We probably can't actually write the pages ourselves, not all of them. Um, and also through, through the cards and then who knows, maybe one day there'll be, there'll be more ways that we, we share the story with the world. I mean, we love, uh, cinematic storytelling, um, in all its forms. And so if we had an opportunity to do that, it would be very attractive to mm -hmm. do it. Um, I think though, one of the things that is going to make X Seekers of Fortune special and maybe, you know, I'm not going to say no one else out there is doing this because, I think there are definitely other people who share our passion for storytelling, but you know, our aim is to really make story as fundamental to the gameplay experience as the mechanics, meaning that the mechanics in the story are so intertwined that when you're playing the game, you feel like you're playing through the story. Um, and we hope that all the years and work that we've put into learning to be storytellers could combine with what we're learning about being game designers and really allow us to tell stories through games. And, um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's a plan we can land. I think so. And yeah, that's, that is what I'm most excited for, uh, the, while we're talking through the art of the cards, like I said, setting up the scenes that we can tell through a graphic novel to start with would be very fun. Very amazing. 
Breaking news, Fortune Seekers. X Seekers of Fortune now has its pre-launch page live on Kickstarter. Click the link in the description below so you can be one of the first people to support X Seekers of Fortune. Also, there's probably going to be some bonuses if you support within the first 24 hours. So be on the lookout for those announcements coming soon. Thank you so much, Fortune Seekers. Please support the game. Support the show by liking this episode and subscribing to our podcast. And you know what? Support each other. Back to the show. All right. So let's go ahead and move on. I think we've we've kind of really, you know, established at least the kernel of the idea of Buda next three exits into the minds of our uh, our audience. But why don't we put kernels of other ideas into the minds of our audience with this week's game of the week? So I feel like you sniped me a little bit on the the game of the week with your question of the week, asking about the M and M's. Was it M and M's you were asking me about? What, what was the question? Oh, I asked what what emergency would have caused us to not be able to record an a, an episode this week, um, and the winner, or the person who got closest to the the reality, got a hundred dollars. Perfect. So um, in this game, uh, it's called uh, Age Like Milk. It's also a game of predictions. Oh. I've got a few different things I would like you to weigh in on. Um, and for everyone you answer or don't answer, you pay me a hundred dollars. Wait, so, what? I, if I answer it or if I don't answer it, I'm paying you a hundred both either. either. Uh, yeah. I got the either part. It's the paying you a hundred dollars. What for the pleasure of answering your questions? No, f- to help me recover that $700 billion <laughs> I lost. <laughs> okay. Well, I can, I can just do my little bit. Uh, I, I'm not much, I, I, I could, I need to open my heart to charity. So why don't we go ahead and get and, into it? And as, as always, we'll rate this at the end as, uh, would play again or not. Although this is more a game of predictions. So I, I yeah. don't know if that would apply. Okay. Well, here, let's, let's so. go. I, you know, I've been called a Nostradamus a few times myself. By no one. Oh, okay. By some, by some, by yourself. By, is that what you said? Maybe myself. Okay. 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 Well, I'll say I'll say this. I've had a few predictions in my past. That does not connotate a, a accurate prediction. That's just a prediction. Correct. Okay. Well, here we go. Some of these are a little bit more uh, mild than okay. others, but we'll see. First one. When will this episode air? If I were to use my podcast brain as a consumer of podcasts and just media in general, I believe this episode will either air near the end of December or the beginning of January as the holidays will just rack us and we will have to miss a week. Probably I'm going to guess like both Thanksgiving week and Christmas week, but we will have double batched one of uh, an, an episode before. So we'll, we'll have an episode for like Christmas week, but not for Thanksgiving week. Well, you know, I, I, this isn't on my list of questions to ask, but you just inspired me, so yeah. I'll ask it. What will be your favorite Christmas gift this year? <laughs> this is going to be sound corny, and I think it's a bit premature. My favorite, Chris, my favorite Christmas gift to give would be like advanced prototype decks of my game to all of my family and friends. No, well, that but the gifts you give are really the presents that you receive. But but the real gift you receive, uh, yeah. I'll, uh, at this point with like how the recordings have been going, uh, a new computer of some sort, I guess that, which is not going to happen. Okay. Should it be realistic? 
I mean, I I would really. I, I mean, you have to pay me double for everything that's really okay. wrong. Uh, wait, the, oh, I'm predicting my gifts. Uh, I'm going to say uh, if my parents have been paying attention to my social media feeds and what I'm doing, I would really appreciate them getting me a nice hat. But to take me to a nice hat shop and like let me pick it out and purchase it for me. Something with a big flamboyant feather? I'm starting to think a feather is going to be part of my hat. Nice. Okay, here's the okay. next one. When will the first unit of the first edition of X Seekers of Fortune be sold? Sold or handed to somebody? Let's say sold outside of the Kickstarter. Oh, outside! If you're saying outside of the Kickstarter, I'm going to say August of 2024. Okay. What will be the worst thing that will happen to you between now and the airing of this episode? Diarrhea. Ooh. Okay. That's not the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm setting my. I mean, I'm, I'm really tough. hoping that nothing bad happens to me. <laughs> I feel like that's a reasonable thing to hope. Yeah. What will be the worst stunt you get talked into doing for the game? The worst thing I get talked into doing for the game would probably be... Um, that's a good question. For me, going on a long tour around the world to create a docu like a docu series of me introducing the game to other cultures and people. Now I say that you think that for a lot of people out there, that sounds amazing. I'm sure I am not one who likes to live out of suitcases. I'm not one who likes to be away from home for too long. And I'm imagining the kind of tour where I don't, it's like where I'm going from city to city to city and not going back home between to recharge myself. So I feel like at some point I'm going to go on a long tour, maybe with you, maybe solo, representing the game in many different markets. And I have a feeling that's going to be a bit on the grueling side, but also I'm probably going to end up agreeing to like letting people film me doing it. And then, then we're going to have a document of me being miserable on the road. And if that's funny or tragic or, or tragic and sad, I don't know. Hopefully yeah. both. <laughs> yeah. All right. Here's your last one. This one's a softball. Why won't you have all your fingers? Why won't I what? Have all your Why fingers. Why won't I have all my fingers? I'm correct. I'm sorry. I just let Neil let you know. For some reason, my headphone is like getting worse and worse as the conversation has gone on. So that's why I'm having you repeat. Okay. So why won't I have all my fingers? I mean, I've had quite a few. I mean, I think like anybody who's like gets to adulthood and hasn't learned proper like knife etiquette, you know, in a kitchen, you've had your close calls and, you know, and then you just multiply that by like, well, you know, who knows what happens in a car accident or if you were unfortunate enough to get into one. Um, but why wouldn't I have all my fingers? I think I, I'm very trusting of animals in general. And I think I have a druidic, uh, tendency to make them feel calm and peaceful around me. And I feel like eventually I'm going to really read it wrong one time where I reach down to pet something with sharp teeth and they are not having it and uh, the snap at me. And all of a sudden I'm coming up like this, which you think you're going to lose some fingers trying to pet an animal because you misread the situation? What animal are you petting that can bite three fingers off? 
I feel like if I were to lose my fingers, any of my fingers, first and foremost, the way it's going to happen is because I try to pet something I shouldn't have tried petting. Um, why would you be so happy to have lost your fingers? Was that part of the question? Remember, I couldn't hear everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is a prediction game. You have to predict why you're so oh, happy that you okay. lost so your fingers. So this finger. is a follow-up question. Um, well, I think that it was a. I, I think that it was a really cute animal that even after I lost my fingers, I still I managed to then, um, you know calm the animal and get it get into some zen state i didn't just you know rage out and you know shout out the devil you know like like uh turn into a ball of rage and was unconsolable i think i lost my fingers i'm like okay that sucked but i want to try petting again <laughs> what animal are you petting that can take your fingers off and is also described as cute i i just imagine of uh, uh like there's dogs out there i'm sure that could get your a, a finger or two right yeah. So you're saying that you would get your fingers bit off by a dog and then you would continue to try to pet it until you could get it into a Zen state. Yes. I think that that could possibly be a future for me in the future where I've lost fingers that could have happened. Okay. Well, that's about all we have. Okay. All we can hope is that you have most of your fingers when we hear this podcast. Yeah, I guess that's that's fairly evergreen uh, material right there because um, we didn't have. I mean, even though like uh, elections are heating up, we didn't like try to do any predictions on those. But probably for the best because that's probably less predictable than how many fingers I'll have by the time this episode airs. Um, well. I had a great time and I hope y'all had a great time talking about this. And if y'all have more questions about Buda next three exits and our plans for where we're taking the story and uh, lore of X seekers of fortune, you can ask all those questions to us. Uh, if you want to reach out to us through social media, you can find us at TikTok at Megamoth studios. Instagram is X underscore seekers underscore of underscore fortune Facebook. It's just X seekers of fortune you know, the way it would be spelled on the box. And if you'd like to, you can play a beta version of our game right now today by going to our, um, it would be best for you to go to our discord first. That way you can meet up with people who play, have played the game before and they can show you the ropes on Tabletopia. Tabletopia is a great uh, little app that you can play in browser in order to uh, play tabletop games. And our game is set up there for demo trials. Um, with all that said, Danny, is there anything you'd like to add before we go? No, I just, I hope that, um, this episode finds people well in the future and, uh, can't wait to drive my flying car. <laughs> I th wouldn't you be flying your flying car? No, I'm going to drive it. I don't think I'd take that thing off the ground. <laughs> all right. Well, with that, I have been Joel reminding you that you must start somewhere. So why not here? Thanks for listening. Theme music by James Holden, produced and edited by William Weinman. I, I think I'm supposed to say something that he can like put at the end of the thing, so this is the thing.